Welcome to Ex Libris On Air and the stories behind the stories of today's literature and their authors. Greetings for Ex Libris On Air. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book title is The Making of a Physician. Subtitled, This Was My Calling. And joining me from in Ohio in the United States of America is the author, Dr. Harry L. Graber. Thank you for joining me today, sir. Thank you. Dr. Graber, this is a, 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 an interesting book. A lot of folks will, will um, you know, write books reflecting on their life and, uh, you know, for the family and this type of thing. I found your book very, very interesting and easy to read. Uh, what was the, uh, the reason that the book got written? I, I understand you were on the golf course one day and someone gave you an idea. Well, actually, the owner of the local golf course, I use the word pestered, uh, pestered me for <laughs> over a year. Right. And he kept asking, when are you going to write your story? And I finally uh, did that. It took me about a year to write it and have it published. And afterwards, uh, about six months ago, I asked the gentleman, why did you keep after me to write my story? And he said, it's quite easy. Uh, you've had a very interesting life. And I want my children and grandchildren to learn from your experiences. Incredible. Uh, you started out, you wanted to be or were planning to become a school teacher. I understand. You've had some influences in your life that have uh, shaped you as a person and also gave you the direction as a career. Talk about, first of all, your, your uh, youth. Uh, you were raised in a farm or a rural setting, I, I think that's correct, and had some health a issues. rural setting in the uh, northeastern part of the state of Indiana, and it was uh, the immediate post-Great Depression years. Uh, everybody was poor. Everybody worked hard. And it was those early experiences in life, as I reflected back, that really helped make me the person I am. Uh, work before play, honesty, all these special things that were important in my life. Didn't realize it at the time, but as I reflected back, a very valuable experience. Talk a little of your health crisis that occurred while you were in high school. Uh, that normally would sideline someone from uh, what you've described. How did you get uh -huh. beyond that? Yes, but it really began, I think, in my first eight years of school. I, I attended a one-room school, which was quite typical back in those days. Uh, total uh, school of all of, of the first eight grades uh, was about 30 students. And then I became introduced to a larger school, a high school. And uh, this in itself was um, difficult to make those early adjustments. I, I now had multiple teachers, whereas before I had one. Mm. And also I had a, a lot of uh, students, classmates, I had no idea who they were. They all knew each other. Uh, they were friends of each other. And, and then one coming into that system, it was difficult to make that adjustment. And uh, some of those early uh, experiences, as I reflect back, were not healthy ones for me. I found friends, but they also were people who were not uh, well uh, disciplined, and, and I sort of sidetracked in my lifestyle the first couple of years. The health crisis that occurred, what did that turn out to being uh, in looking back? 
say that again, please. Your, your health crisis in high school, that is uh, an interesting story of uh, on its own. Oh, um, I, was, I was not allowed to participate in sports those early years, and then uh, I, I was uh, permitted to play basketball, for example, and uh, it was following a, a basketball game. Uh, I became quite ill, uh, actually critically ill, and required hospitalization uh, in a, a Catholic hospital. Uh, back at that time, there were no antibiotics that would be helpful. Penicillin had just come onto the scene, and the type of illness I had, uh, penicillin was not helping. And, and I had a very delightful uh, physician uh, who said to my parents that um, unless God intervenes, he did not think I would survive. Mm. And it was then that uh, the Catholic Church, the Presbyterians, and the Anabaptist groups got together and prayed for me, and three weeks later, I, I walked out of the hospital. Wow. A living miracle, right? Just, uh, uh, you know. It really, it really was. And, of course, mm. That didn't strike me until uh, uh, some years later when I had to reflect upon that. You also had a coach that was influential. What his input into your life? What uh, what was it that he did or said that uh, gave you courage to uh, follow the career of being a physician? Okay. Uh, well, you know, first of all, uh, following that illness, I was I was noted as that sick child. And I was not allowed to do many things, uh, mm. sports included. And uh, it was at the end of my junior year in high school. Uh, I had I had uh, observed a, a student who was an outstanding athlete, a fastball, softball pitcher. And so he was sort of my idol. And one day at uh, at noon, I was practice pitching uh, my softball against the school building, and the coach. I saw coming toward me, uh, carrying a softball in his hand, and he was a, a big gentleman with a low-pitched voice, and uh, he said, uh, here, uh, take this home and practice. Uh, just just that fact was very uplifting. It gave me encouragement uh, and identity that I was needing, and so I did that. I, I practiced every evening that was available, uh, pitching that ball against the barn door, and uh, was able, after that extensive practicing, to pitch the, not only a fastball, but a rise ball, drop ball, uh, change of pace, all of the, of the above, and became quite good. In the following year in school, uh, he wanted me to play on the uh, fast-pitch softball team, but being uh, a farm boy, uh, my father was very reluctant, and he had to be persuaded by the coach to allow me to play. And it was the un with the understanding that if I was needed on the farm, that came first. Mm. And it, it turned out to be a, a very exciting softball season. Uh, I was the starting pitcher for most of the games, and uh, we had not had any losses the entire season. And uh, this is the final game that was to be played to decide the championship. And wouldn't you know, uh, my father has said, no, uh, I have to be working uh, in the field, uh, disking uh, the field. And 
I bargained with my father if I would get up early enough and get my work done, would he allow me to do that? And he did. Mm. So I was able to play that game. And I recall uh, as I was walking out on the on the pitching mound, uh, ready for that final event, I looked toward home plate. And uh, who did I happen to see but my father sitting right behind home plate and the bleachers waiting for the game to start. Fantastic. It was an exciting game. Uh, the score was 0-0 zero to zero after eight innings. And at the top of the ninth inning, the opposing pitcher was at bat. And uh, he being a pitcher, uh, I reasoned that if I just put that ball down home plate, with a, with a straight pitch, uh, that's all I was needed. But wouldn't you know, he hit that ball for a home run, and uh, the score was one to nothing, and they won that game. But but that that whole event gave me the confidence to become a different person, and I I think my my uh, late uh, softball coach for leading me in that direction that was very helpful you even honored him at his uh, funeral or celebration of life service is that uh, the oh, same coach that was interesting uh, it was near the end of 2011 uh, uh, that I attended his funeral uh, the coach had passed away and I met his one son and he said oh you're you're one of the Grabers, uh, one of the good softball pitchers. I said, I think that was probably my cousin's. But during the, uh, the ceremony and the viewing at that funeral, the opportunity came to share. Uh, the pastor of that church said, uh, anybody here would like to share something about the coach? And I raised my hand, and he said, would you like to have the microphone? I said, no, I just need a little space. And so I stood up and, and briefly told him how I appreciated the coach, and then I demonstrated my pitch in front of the whole audience. <laughs> uh, and and it just, they just burst out laughing. It was sort of a nice celebration event. Incredible. And that wasn't just 10 or 15 years after high school. That was a few years, was it not? Uh, um, well, I was about 85. <laughs> you still You still had it. Yes, and I've, I've done that since. Uh, I spoke uh, more recently at a historical meeting and, and did the same thing. Uh, my wind-up is still pretty good, but I wouldn't trust myself with a ball in my hand at this point. Incredible. It's a it's a great book, uh, very uh, personable. It's not just a look back at history. There are some fascinating events that have taken place in your life. Uh, one of them also that stood out to me was the fact that you were on track to become a teacher and just as you were uh, was it near graduation or how was that that the professor came and uh, gave you some advice um my favorite uh, elementary education professor um said to me i i had given my life to god at that point and i think that probably prompted her statement um she had said to me i think god has something else for you Mm other than to become a teacher. And I thought, what the world are you talking about? Because I was highly excited and committed to become a teacher. In fact, I was uh, president of the Future Teachers of America. Everything was going quite well. And then this earth-shaking pronouncement came to to me. (laughs) And following that, 
uh, in my senior year, there was on the bulletin board uh, a statement wanting a teacher on the Navajo Indian Reservation, and I was still single, and, and that was also very exciting. Mm. And that turned out to be a very providential assignment as I taught school uh, on at Tuba City, Arizona, on the Navajo Reservation. You uh, have referred to this as a providential uh, calling. You call it a, a, a calling in life. Uh, that's a, a very serious, and it was not just a throwaway line. You actually felt that, did you? Right. Yeah, no question about that. And how long were you a physician, and what was your specialty? Um, I was a physician for a little more than 50 years. Um, I started out uh, in... I went to St. Louis University School of Medicine, and uh, looking at that event um, with with their religious background and all the important uh, things that that helped guide me in life was was perfect for me. So it was a, a delightful four years of training. And then um, I was called one night while I was in my postgraduate training by a physician from Bell Fountain, Ohio, and it wasn't the person that guided me to Bell Fountain, Ohio, but it, it was the fact that I was hearing a very, very tired voice of a, of a gentleman who was still in the office at 11 o'clock at night mm. that got my attention. And it was through this man that I uh, moved to Bell Fountain, Ohio, a place where, where I had not been before. And later than that, uh, about Three years after that, another gentleman called me, inviting me to go to Ohio State University for training in cardiology. Uh, I looked at both of these events, again, as, as a uh, providential calling, because as I look back, this helped make me become the person that prepared me for a life adventure of cardiology, which I was very excited about. You've shared some great stories in your book. Is there anything that eh, was a challenge for you to write as you were sharing those, or did they come fairly quickly and easily to... Uh, to uh, it's, it's amazing. You know, you would think uh, I had I had uh, written down bits and pieces throughout my career, but that wasn't true. Uh, when I was convinced that I needed to write this book, uh, the clarity of, of my mind going all the way back to early life through my entire career was was very easy. And I found myself staying up as, oh, as late as 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning mm. with excitement uh, putting this book together. Beautifully done. And I will recommend it to everybody who's listening or who will listen to this interview at some future date. The book is uh, easy to read. It's entertaining, it's uh, personable, it's not complicated, but it does share some wonderful stories of, uh, of the life of a physician and how you became the physician that you did. The title, again, is The Making of a Physician. This Was My Calling. The author is Harry L. Graber. There's, there's a poet that uh, was a favorite of mine, uh, the late Robert Frost, and he wrote a poem, The Road Not Taken. Yes. And uh, that became a favorite of mine. And just just the last part of his, <clears throat> excuse me, the last part of his poem, uh, 
I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages to ages hence. Two roads diverge in a wood, and I, I chose the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. And that was really a story of my life. Your life's an inspiration. Your stories are certainly uh, inspiration, inspirational and entertaining at the same time. Let me spell your name for the uh, listeners. It's G-R-A-B-E-R, Harry L. Graber. And, of course, that's Dr. Graber. Dr. Graber, where can my listeners uh, find your book? Um, my book can be found um, Libris Publishing, X-L-I-B-R-I-S, uh, in, in Indiana, uh, it can also be found in Amazon, and um, there are other, I think, other publishing companies that that have that have that book. Um, okay. Noble Barnes. Barnes and Noble. Barnes and Noble. Yeah, Barnes and Barnes and yeah, Barnes and Barnes and Noble. Yes. Sure. They can also order it through their local bookseller if they uh, if they mention it by name, the making of a physician, or by your name. A good, entertaining reading. Yeah, you know they can they they want to write to me. I'd be happy to ship them a book. Uh, I've been doing that. If they want to look it up on the internet, the making of a physician. This was my calling. Uh, all that information can come up from there. Also on Facebook, they can uh, they can learn about it from there. Excellent. Thank you again for joining me today and sharing at least a little insight into your story and how the book was written. Thanks again for sharing it. It's one that should be in everybody's library. I'm certainly planning to put it in mine, so thanks again for joining me today. Hey, thank you for uh, allowing me to do this. My pleasure. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors, all quilters just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to Ex Libris. Greetings for Ex Libris on air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book title is Sagebrush and the Smoke Jumper. And joining me from Colorado, where this author lives and has experienced some of the contents of these books that she has uh, written in the series, is author Joni Franks. Welcome, Joni. 
Good morning, Jay. Good to visit with you. This uh, you have uh, your book is is unique in in several aspects. Um, it has, I'm guessing, some fantasy in it. Obviously, if the uh, deer are actually conversing with humans uh, and other things, but it is a a book of about 38 pages. I wouldn't call it exactly a children's book. How would you describe your series? Well, um, thank you, Jay. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, I'm told by my publisher, Exlibris, that my books have an appeal to not only young readers, but some adults as well. Um, these books are perfect for young budding ecologists, uh, environmentalists interested in preserving Mother Earth. This book might also have an appeal to any brave and fearless firefighters out there or those who have a dream of becoming a firefighter. This particular book was um, not reminiscent, but reflects on the Hayden uh, Pass fire that happened, I guess, within 10 miles of your home. Is that a good way to describe the foundation of your book story? Yes, it is, Jay. Um, As you said earlier, I live in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado, and the Hayden Creek fire was a wildfire which was ignited by lightning on July 8th of 2016 in southern Colorado, and it broke out about 10 miles from my home. This fire inspired me to write the book, Sagebrush and the Smoke Jumper, which is my third book in the Quirky Tales book collection. Um, I watched as my community came together in, in ways you might not imagine. As events unfolded and the fire gained strength, I was moved to write a story that teaches a life lesson showing that even on the darkest of days, good things can happen. Excellent truth. You uh, are a creative, obviously. Uh, How long have you desired to share your creative talent? Well, um, I only had the opportunity for the last year and a half to do that. Um, I've published three books in 12 months. So before that, I was in the business world, but uh, this is the best thing I've ever done in my life. It sounds uh, very fulfilling. Who is Sagebrush, your your key character? Sagebrush is my dog, and uh, I would be remiss to not give her credit. Um, it's probably important to say that the inspiration for the character of Sagebrush comes from my real-life dog, Sage. And I believe continuing the or combining the storybook Sagebrush with a real dog will imprint a pathway in the reader's minds, taking them from the real world into the imagination of the storybook character. And at the end of each of my stories that I write, I have a photograph of my dog, Sage, that relates to each different book adventure. For instance, this book, um, Sagebrush and the Smoke Jumper, I took her to the top of the Hayden Pass, which is probably about um, 11,000 elevation and had the picture taken at the burn scar of the Hayden Fire. Beautiful. Juniper Berry, who is that character? Juniper Berry is a shun, and um, the shuns were introduced in my second book, Sagebrush Meets the Shuns. And Juniper Berry is, a, is an orphan shun. She's been made homeless due to the giant tree-cutting machines, and um, she's a key character in this book. And what is a shun, and who is a shun? That's uh, <laughs> it, you have. Well, the shuns. The shuns were introduced in Sagebrush Meets the Shuns, and that book uh, teaches awareness of the plight of the vanishing forest and deforestation. 
in that book, Sagebrush Meets the Shuns, the little dog wanders off into the forest and meets these tiny people who live in the tree hollows who are known as shuns. Ah. And the shuns have retreated to the deepest recesses of the forest due to the giant tree-cutting machines that are clear-cutting the woods and using the timber to make things that the humans need. So when the loggers begin to destroy the actual trees that the, sh- the shuns call home, the sh- sagebrush comes to their rescue. And sage or juniper berry in the third book uh, is an ho- a homeless orphan. This in the third in the third in a series. Uh, how would you describe the progression from book one to book three? Is there? I know you have carried forward some of the main characters, but are there other elements that you have added that are unique? There are. Um, well, my first book is Quirky Tales, Tales of a Tailless Dog Named Sagebrush. That introduces Sagebrush, the puppy who is born without a tail, and with the help of the kind young ranch woman who's not let being a girl stop her from achieving her dreams, Sagebrush learns to overcome labeling and bullying from her dog peers. And that story centers on overcoming fears that others can put upon you just because you look different. Hmm. It also addresses preconceived notions about women being ranchers and achieving goals most generally left to men. So each of my books has a lesson based on kindness and love and is very timely in this world that we're living in. Um, so with each each book, I choose a different theme. And these are gentle messages. They're not, uh, I wouldn't say militant, but they're 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 there to to open the reader's eyes to another way of thinking, perhaps than what they have uh, have grown up thinking, or or perhaps uh, introduce them to some other aspects of life. I agree. Um, I always try to depict a story that won't scare the children and actually in one of my recent reviews that was brought forward that it's a great way to tell a story without fear um, you know and but yet teaches the lesson Um, if I could I'll use a quote from a review that I just recently received in the last month from the US review of books absolutely and okay and what how they they put it was Franks has created this enlightening story using her beloved dog, Sagebrush, who lives with her in Colorado on her cattle ranch. The author writes in order to motivate others to join her in her quest to end deforestation and conserve the Earth's precious gifts. Franks uses this story, inspired by the actual Hayden Pass fire of Colorado in 2016, to teach new generations how important it is to respect the environment and and use safety measures at all times to prevent natural disasters from happening. She also demonstrates how good can happen from bad circumstances by incorporating her fascinating character Juniper Berry, the shun. Although Juniper Berry was orphaned due to deforestation, she finds a wonderful new home on the ranch with the kind young miss and others of her kind during this devastating event. So I have to say thank you to the U.S. Review of Books for this lovely review. Well, that's a great commendation, absolutely. Well written. You have uh, three books. You have uh, wonderful illustrations in those books. Did you use the same illustrator in all three efforts? They are all consistent, and I've, you know, chosen Raquel Rodriguez. I would be remiss not to mention her beautiful work. Um, she is an illustrator for, for Ex Libris and has done a, a wonderful job. We are both on the same page. Um, it's been a, su- a successful collaboration to share with Raquel 
the character images and the scene depictions I've envisioned and then see her transform them into imagery. Also, she received a lovely review uh, from Pacific Book Review regarding her work, and if I could, I might read that. Please do. Thank you. Um, According to Pacific Book Review, they, they put it like this. One illustration in particular caused me to pause and admire the skill of coloration, as on page 14, artist Raquel Rodriguez painted the orange and black of a fire in the distance, so realistically it reminded me of what I witnessed just a few weeks prior to writing this review with the fires in Northern California. These illustrations, along with the skill of wordsmith Joni Franks, create this engaging children's story, making this episode of Tales of Tailless Dog Named Sagebrush to once again become an excellent addition to any youngster's library. For a puppy without a tail, Sagebrush now has three published tales and looks as if there are more to come. Thank you, Pacific Book Review, for that. Beautiful. Joni, how long does it take for you to uh, come up with a storyline and then create it? Is it something that just flows, or do you have to really agonize through the details? I really don't agonize too much. Um, I have my fourth book ready to go, and it will be coming out this year. Um, With it, I did struggle a little bit with the ending, but uh, once I I went through several different scenarios, um, and in the end, uh, the scenario I picked came to me, and it was simple and quite, it just, it flowed, and it was much better than the other one. So generally, these stories come pretty quickly and only take me a a few months to, to get together in words. Uh, describing your books, are they basically under 50 pages in general? Is that a general uh, a way to describe your, your writing? Yes. Excellent. Yes, they're usually around 32 to 38 pages. Uh, my fourth book is a few more words in it, but with the illustrations, they're 38 to 38 pages. So they make a good book if you're reading to your children at night. Um, you know, you can read just a bit and then pick it up again the next night. Beautifully done. Third in the series, Sagebrush and the Smoke Jumper, my author, Joni Franks. Joni, my listeners need to get a copy of this and add it to their library. How do they do so? Oh, there's many ways. Um, first of all, I have a website, www.joniefranks.com, and my name is J-O-N-I-F-R-A-N-K-S. So they can follow the adventures of Sagebrush there. There's also a link to purchase the books through my website. Um, I have an author page at Goodreads, and I've done several giveaways there. Uh, But the book collection is available for purchase through Exlibris, my website, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other online vendors. And I'll also mention, uh, listeners, if you don't have access to either of the above, you can ask your local bookseller, and they can also order it in under the author's name, Joni Franks, J-O-N-I, as she mentioned, and Franks, F-R-A-N-K-S. Uh, they would be delighted to do so for you. Uh, you mentioned you've got a, a fourth book in the series coming out. Is that uh, soon to be released, and uh, do you have a title for it yet? I do, Jay. Um, the fourth book is entitled Sagebrush and the Butterfly Creek Flood, and it will be out this year. I would say by summertime it will be out. Um, it has an environmental theme as well, and um, what follows fire but flood, 
and uh, the, power de- the powerful debris flow from last year's fire and the lack of ground vegetation gains momentum, causing a flood on Butterfly Creek, and it demonstrates the powers of Mother Nature. Also, there is a theme in this book um, of equality and the message that all lives matter, as there is a harrowing rescue effort of humans and shuns alike. Phenomenal. Well, that sounds like another exciting and mysterious fable, or actually based on a true story book that's coming out in the Corky Tales. Have you been tempted to maybe expand your your horizons and, and target a larger, larger, older audience? Is that anything that might be coming in the future? Well, um, I would love that. Um, you know, I'm asked a lot at book sales events, um, you know, do I, who, what, what is the age group? And actually, I have a five-star review on Amazon from a, from a 65-year-old woman Incredible. who loved it and um, related it to her own uh, story of her corgi that she had hurting her neighbor's goats. So I don't know. I like to keep my message for the children. Um, my real goal in life is to provide a message for a new generation. It may inv- evolve into something for adults, but it hasn't at this point yet. Beautifully done. Thank you again, author Joni Franks, for joining me today and sharing your story. And again, you can find this book, Corky Tales, or any of the Corky Tales series, uh, on all of the major booksellers' websites and also on hers. Thank you again, Joni, for joining me today. Thank you, Jay, and I hope everyone will enjoy Corky Tales. Fabulous. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Ex Libris returns after these short messages. Only once every few years does a show come along that makes you think, makes you care, makes you believe the impossible. A show featuring only the best in writing, acting, and directing. Until that show comes along, we suggest Paranoria, Texas. Thrilled to the adventures of six super-powered nerds on a never-ending quest to take over the world and to complete their collection of She-Hulk comics. Paranoria, Texas, Monday nights at 8 p.m. Central on AstronetRadio.com. Welcome back to Ex Libris. Greetings for Ex Libris on Air. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The title of this book is Nap Time Paintings. And joining me from California is author and artist Jennifer Hines. Thank you for joining me, Jenny. Thank you for having me. Well, this is a this is an interesting book because it doesn't fit the typical format. You do have some of your art included in there and some interesting chapter headings. How would you describe your book? Um, my book is writing. The way that I started the book and put the book together was when my kids were babies after maybe six months, they started taking regular naps, two naps a day. And I wanted to get back in the studio because I hadn't worked in the studio since they were born. Mm. And I found that just having an hour to work in the studio was better than nothing. So that's why I called it naptime painting. And I started painting during that time. And then I would start writing as well uh, about the painting process and about getting into the studio and how difficult it was. 
with yeah. the babies. Would you would you call these stories uh, uh, short stories? Are they based on fact, fiction, or imagination? They are based on memory and fact, as much as fact can be. I mean, there's a lot of controversy over what is really fact, but they're based on my emotions and my feelings and my memories of the time that I was going through or writing right there and then. Hmm. And I would probably call them essays. Okay. Your 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 girls. I guess they're girls. You have twins. Uh, they are. A, yeah, a girl and a boy. A girl and a boy twin. Uh, yeah. that's fabulous. And that was uh, sort of the motiv- motivation behind it. Uh, you, they were giving you some rest time for for them and the mom duties, so that you could actually return to your first love. Yes, and I mean the book would more. I mean, what happened was I. I took the break and I made a conscious effort to take the break when they were born and not stress myself out about getting back to the studio. And then, you know, month after month when they were little, I started getting really, really overwhelmed. And, you know, there was so many dishes and bottles and the house was a mess. And I just felt really stressed out. Like I didn't have time. And when they would take their nap at first, I would try to do the dishes and I would try to do this and that. And I was just burnt out and I wasn't happy. And I was part of this multiples group, and they asked for a piece on somebody's experience the first year having twins. So I wrote the piece for them, and they published it in the newsletter. And after that, I started a blog, dirtylaundryblog.com, and I started writing for the blog. And then I would do, and then I started this whole process of painting, writing and then being ready for them when they woke up and I would feel happy and like myself. And that's why I wrote the book because I wanted other women or other parents to realize that even if they only have 10 minutes, it's better than nothing. And it's better to just let the dishes get pile up in the sink and do something for yourself than, you know, constantly being on that hamster wheel. Oh, that's that's phenomenal and and important device, uh, important advice. Excuse me. Uh, I try to get my spouse to uh, adhere to some of those uh, suggestions, and of course, it doesn't work when I suggest it. Maybe if she read your book, it might. <laughs> uh, these these stories are cathartic in in many ways. Uh, the, the reason for writing them and also the contents. Yes, definitely. And I've had I've been um, I gave a bunch away for Christmas to some friends and. Um, people that I work with and a lot of people say that they made them cry like uh and they give me feedback and they really felt connected to the work and they it actually brought up like memories in their life and sadness and like one lady said she had to stop reading it because it was sad but also hopeful so sure yeah they definitely touch something inside people for sure and maybe another word for sad would be poignant. Uh, they just bring back some of those memories that, you know, we all experience in life with uh, growing families yeah. and trying to live and get through the uh, hectic schedules that we have to face every day. Exactly. Yeah. And also just trying to figure out what's really important, you know, if we're I, like my mom, part of this was also my mom. Um, she died early. She died at 56. Mm. Um, it's been eight years now, but, uh, and it took me a really, really long time to get pregnant. Like I went through infertility and I had to end up using a surrogate. Um, but before when I was going through infertility and trying to get pregnant, 
I wrote, I, after my mom had died, I did a lot of paintings about memory and about her and her mom and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So all this stuff comes out and it's really good information for the artistic, for the painting too. Absolutely. To draw on all that. Well, one thing I noticed also about your art uh, from chapter one to say chapter eight or nine or whatever it is, the, the subject matter seems to get a little more complex. You started off with a fairly simple uh, artwork, and then it gets more involved as uh, as the book progresses. Is that because they took longer naps, or what happened there? How did, or is that just coincidental? I think no. I think that it is what it. I think what it was is. Um, I don't know how to explain this really correctly, but I think I'll be able to. Is actually the writing process brought me closer and closer and closer to what I really wanted to paint about. And the paintings in the book were part of a show. Some of those paintings were part of a show mm. that I just had. Great. So I was working towards something. And then the notebook, um, those are big, thick, uh, just plain notebooks that I painted. And the way that those actually really catapulted this whole thing because those were things that I could go in even if I had five minutes and I had to lock the babies in the room for five minutes and go in and throw some paint around you know I did it and I got it done and I have a bunch of those books done now too so those are more abstract and then some of them are more figurative they're they're really uh, very uh, intriguing to look at and they do draw you in you have uh, at least 52 short stories or 52 comments on yeah. life that you've included in the book. Uh, how long did it take you to complete this? Oh my god, a long time. Um, the book, well, I wrote a lot of the stories I took off my blog originally, and I, I pulled them out of my um, files of stories that I had written over the year, and the paintings too. Um, but then, once I started editing it, it was like I had to rewrite a bunch of stuff, and it was different. I didn't realize how different it was writing for a blog and writing for a book. Mm. And the paintings, I had to get them all professionally photographed. So, I mean, the whole project probably took a year to do. Well, it's a fascinating approach to, to writing and sharing stories. The... Um the the whole process of of getting publishing, getting it published. Uh, were there challenges that? Well, you mentioned some that were not anticipated. In looking back, is it something you'd like to do again? Maybe expand oh, yeah. again? You enjoyed it I, that much? I already am starting now. I love it. I mean, it's. I don't. I don't want to sell my own books. Like I don't want to have to peddle books. But I want to write and get my stories out there and publish more books. So it's challenging because it's so expensive to self-publish your book. Right. And then you're kind of required to do everything yourself, all the marketing, you know, getting the book sold and stuff. But um, if there's a way that I could spread the word and spread my books quicker and easier, that would be great. Um, But I do love it. I really love it. I have this, I guess that's just part of being an artist. I have this desire to reach out to people you know, and connect with them. And that's why I started the blog because I felt very isolated, especially as a stay at home Mm -hmm. mom. And as an artist, you're in your studio alone a lot and you don't talk to people and you don't, you know, people don't come over and you don't have very many friends. You know what I mean? It's like, absolutely. so I guess 
these readers and the people that look at my art are almost like my, they're my community. They're like my, I mean, they're not my friends because I don't really know them, but do you know what I mean? It's sort of a connection to the outside world that I need. So. Right. Well, I, I can relate to that. I have a music background, and I have uh, created uh, several, not created, I have, have produced several uh, vocals on three projects, and I haven't even released them yet. I've given them to family members oh, and so cool. on. And, uh, you know, their response has been, so what? what's new? You know, it's, it's not like they get excited about it. So I, I, that makes me even more hesitant to uh, to share it with the world. You know, it's, it's one of those things. Yeah. Uh, the the stories that you've written, which of those do you think maybe is the one that uh, you remember the most when you think of the contents of your book? Um, you have one on coffee. You have one on the sycamore tree. I, there's a lot of interesting titles. Yeah, I know there are. I mean, I, gosh, I don't know. I, I mean, when the one of the interesting things is when, I went through everything one last time with a fine tooth comb and reread every single thing. There were things in there about the babies that I totally forgot about. And Hmm. I was like, Oh my God, I forgot about those moments. (laughs) You know what I mean? Absolutely. That part is really interesting too. And then I start thinking, is anybody really going to be interested in this? I mean, they're like stories about the babies, but, I think people are. I mean, I love reading about other people's experiences with their kids. Mm. So some of those are really touching to me um, to read those about little things that they did or things, bad things because they're twins and they do crazy stuff. Like, the you know, when they were growing up, I had to deal with a lot of poop and pooping <laughs> everywhere and all this crazy stuff. Right. Well. Um, yeah. as a, and then the other part is, like, I was thinking about the studio thing and like I always wonder because why do I feel so good in my studio like I love being with my kids but then when I'm in my studio I feel so good and I think that's another thing like the setting of my life has changed like with the kids the toys the mess in the house but in my studio everything is still intact you know it's Mm. still my space and I like reading those some of those stories that I've written about being in my studio I really love because I think that's important and it's not something to be, um, to feel bad about or guilty about. And I think a lot of parents, any, all people, like they feel guilty about, you know, that space. Like even now, like mm-hmm. I feel guilty going into my studio and painting because at my art show, I didn't sell a bunch of paintings. Yes. So now it's like I've spent more money, you know, I'm not bringing in any money, but it is important to go to your studio anyhow. So I like the stories that I wrote about that, and I think those are good to get out there and let other people read, and maybe it'll give them inspiration to be tough and just be like, I need my space, you know? I need I my it, own private thing sometimes. Very very important to have to set aside time for yourself. Again, I, I, I re- relating back to my spouse, she has the she's a giver, and uh, she will give until, yeah. she, until she drops and not take time for herself. Yeah. And I, it's hard for me to 
to uh, encourage her. We're in the midst of a, a remodel of our dwelling, and so everything's in an uproar, and, and uh, she gets the courage and the desire and the impulse to uh, straighten it up when I'm going to bed. So it's, uh, you know, we have to... We, oh, my gosh. We, 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 all day long, she'll she'll uh, rev up, and it'll take her till probably 6 or 7 o'clock at night to get uh, motivated to get stuff done. Uh, but I, I treasure her um, her commitment. I just uh, wish she would put herself first sometimes. It's, uh, it's yeah. uh, difficult. And I think that women have a hard time with that because we feel guilty for doing that. Yes. I, I mean, it's weird. We know it's not logical and we know it's not true, but we feel guilty. It's weird. I don't get it. I think dads do the same thing. I I look back at uh, bringing my children up and uh, not reading enough Doctor Spock or whoever else the uh, expert was at the time, and and you always want to do over, but it doesn't happen. You just have to uh, you know look forward and not look back. I noticed also in uh, the sycamore tree that you at one point were training for an Olympic triathlon. Are you are you also one of those yeah. hyperactive people? I did an Olympic triathlon. Yeah, before they were born, I was um, doing a lot of triathlons and running, and, you know, that was uh, kind of my thing, and I loved it. I miss it. I might go back to that one day. This is a fascinating book. It has uh, not only your personal secrets revealed in the book, not in a bad way, but uh, in in looking back at the raising of uh, young children and also your passion as an artist, the artwork is uh, is very striking and colorful. Uh, I think you've done a great job. It's also a short read for people. It's uh, you know under a hundred pages, and so if someone wants yeah. to kind of kind of break away and and uh, get into another person's world, like Walter Mitty, they can read um, one of your one of your uh, comments or one of your stories, and also look at the artwork that you've included. I think it's yeah. won- wonderfully done. It's different than any other book that I've seen. I think it's just a little bit unique, or very unique, yeah. actually. Well, the title of the book again is uh, the title of the book again is Nap Time Paintings, and my author. Jennifer Hines has joined me from California. Jennifer, where do we get copies of your book? Um, we can get them on the Ex Libris website, also on Amazon. It's actually available everywhere online, so it's really easy, and I can send copies to people if they visit my website, um, www.jennyhines.com, um, or on my blog, too, dirtylaundryblog.com. Um, so, yeah, it's totally available everywhere now. Fantastic. And let me spell your last name for folks who have, um, you know, an interest in, in uh, tracking you down. H-Y-N-E-S. Okay. H-Y-N-E-S. Yeah. Hines. Gen- yeah. Jennifer Hines or Jenny Hines, yeah. uh, depending on how they do a search, they can find it. And also by the title of the book, Nap Time Paintings. Thank you for joining yeah. me today and sharing and, your story. Yeah. Thank you so much. My pleasure. For Ex Libris On Air, this is Jay Douglas Barker.